this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This episode is sponsored by No One Needs to Know by Kevin O'Brien. What secret is worth killing for again and again? Find out in this story inspired by the infamous Charles Manson murders of 1969 and the darkest urban legends of Hollywood. No One Needs to Know is a fictional tale that follows the murder of a young actress, a cult's mass suicide, a cursed movie production, a relentless stalker, and two women who work in a food truck. No One Needs to Know by Kevin O'Brien is available everywhere books are sold. Learn more at kevinobrienbooks.com. That's O'Brien with an E-O-B-R-I-E-N. kevinobrienbooks.com or kensingtonbooks.com. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 117, and we're recording on Thursday, July 30th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Amanda, As happy Thursday. 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 For some reason, when we record the show on Thursdays, it feels like it's the weekend's close, even though there's you know a full forty percent really of the workday left because it's <laughs> a work week left because it's Thursday morning. Quite. Uh, let's see. You know, slow week. <laughs> yeah, I'd say a slow week. Uh, putting together an agenda, and I sent it to you last time. I was like, you know, there's not a whole lot here, but there's a few. There's a few juicy bits. Uh, probably the biggest literary news of the week uh, is. The Man Booker Longlist came mm-hmm. out this week. The Man Booker Longlist is, I was trying to describe it to someone, and because this is the second year that Americans have been eligible for it. In years past, it has only been basically English Commonwealth countries. So yeah, yeah, the UK, UK plus. <laughs> yeah, UK, uh, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, India, uh, you know, so... You know, you know some, what the Commonwealth, I guess. Islands, just, yeah. yeah, some other places. The Caribbean, um, though I guess only English Caribbean, not like... I don't, I don't know. Like not Puerto Rico, but it could be, uh, I, I can't remember, Jamaica, for example. Much to my horrible American-centric chagrin, I really did not pay that much attention to the Man Booker until the... US oh, is that interesting? Yeah, that's I'm interesting. So yeah, so I'm some, sorry, Man Booker. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm some people are. So, I mean, I can understand why they did it. Um, for the profile of the award, uh, the U.S. is, I think, the largest English-speaking book market in the world. Um, so, if you're trying to get corporate sponsorship, as the Man Booker is always trying to do, and eyeballs and attention, um, having the U.S. involved uh, matters. But as an outside observer, I mean, I follow enough American literary awards that like. I get a sense of what the, you know, nominated awards in America are every year. So the Man Booker was always like a bunch of books I probably hadn't heard of, or at least most of them I hadn't heard of. Now some of them are being taken up uh, by books I have. Uh, I've heard of before. And, you know, I love Lila, for example, by Marilyn Robinson, which was nominated. Um, But, you know, the the Booker as using it sort of English-speaking international discovery for me has been, I don't know, I guess just sort of – watered down a little bit. But a good list, I think, this year. Uh, let's see. Notable, uh, A Brief History of Seven Killings by Marlon James, which was, I'd say, a critical darling yeah. this year, but uh, hasn't. I don't think it's sold particularly well. Have you read that? 
No. No, I, it's on my library hold list now. Uh, it has been uh, since I started a new library holds list last week. I'm going to read that. Um, let's the see. Fisherman. The Fisherman. Uh, Chigose Obioma. I'm just going to take a guess. I'm so sorry if, I, if I, I butchered that. Which has... I've seen a lot of buzz about that on the Book Riot side. Like a yeah, lot of yeah, our people. Yeah, it's a Book Riot favorite. We put it in one of our, our like best of the year yeah. summer box. And that literally um. is on my nightstand right now. Uh, I'm looking <laughs> at it right now. Um, uh, a Little Life by Hanya Yana Gihara, which yeah. is the first time I've said that out loud. Wow. Um, you came this far in this podcast with never saying her name. I let Shinsky do the, the hard stuff to embarrass that's herself. True. That's really my, <laughs> that's my tactic. Um, which I think, hmm. Is the, I think it's the 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 in the clubhouse leader for the book of the year for literary fiction, as far as I can tell. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. You're, I, I'm not yeah, yeah, completely yeah. off like that. Which is of, so it's so big. Yeah. You read this, didn't you? Or are we both avoiding I, this? Oh no! I gosh, I quit halfway. Oh, through. did you? Okay. Yeah, yes, I remember. And that not now. because it's bad. Okay. Right. Like it's very it's it's very well written. She is masterful. Okay, it's just really difficult. Like, trigger warning to the max. Mm -hmm. If you have a problem reading about violence against children, that's all this book is. It's 700 pages of violence against children. That's why I am keeping it at arm's length um, myself. Can't do it. Can't do it. (laughs) Um, But a lot of people we know um, on our side, you know, inside Book Ride and outside Book Ride on the bookish internet love the book. Like, just rave about it. And several people that I trust have said it's their favorite book of the year so far. So unless we get something coming out at the end of the year, I think when we're looking at the American Literary Awards season come next year, Pulitzer, uh, Penn, uh, Pulitzer, (laughs) this is the one we should be, you know, that's one you should put on your, if you're a betting person, um, put on there. Let's see, Other Americans, A Spool of Blue Thread by Anne. Tyler, um, My Beloved Lila by Marilyn Robinson. It feels like that came out a million years ago. They have like a weird... It really does. <laughs> they have a weird like timeline. Um, so uh, the other other notable, let's see, Tom McCarthy's Satin Island, the most probably experimental on there. Um, Arundhata Roy, this is different than the the woman who wrote um, the, God of, the God of Small Things. It's spelled oh, I was about to ask, a little bit she's not written anything else. Yeah, it's spelled, her first name is spelled a little bit differently, though. As oh, it's I Arundhati. Say it, yes, there's no yeah. T in, in, this, yeah. in this person's name. Sleeping on Jupiter, Andrew Hagen's The Illuminations. Uh, let's see, Leila Lamy's The Moore's Account uh, it was nominated as well. The Chimes by Anna Small. And Anne writes The Green Road. Did You Ever Have a Family by Bill Clegg, who himself is a literary agent, which is interesting. Uh, Sanjeev Sahoda's uh, The Year of the Runaway. So that's the uh, that's the long list. Um, they if they cut it down to a short list, I, th- I think, of five uh, here in a few weeks. Um, I don't have a sense of what the favorite is going to be here. I'm very I'm I'm, I'm bad at guessing uh, American literary awards, which means I'm abhorrent at guessing uh-huh. international literary. I would awards. love it if The Fisherman won. You know, yeah. I haven't I haven't actually read it um, to be honest, but it's mm. it's gotten so much buzz from both critics and readers. I love when a book intersects. Yes, you know, um, the establishment and people who actually read books. I'm about um, 15 pages into it, and I'm into it. I'm not just into it. I'm it. into it. Um, so uh, I can report back at some point here in the future. So those, those are the man booker. It's probably the world's most prestigious literary award for a single title, I think. think I don't so? think there's anything that really comes close, at least in the English-speaking world. Maybe there's something in the non-English-speaking world of, of which I am not aware. You don't but, think the Pulitzer is on the same? No, because it's just America. Right. Yeah. 
Plus this also you get 50,000 pounds, which also <laughs> makes it, the, no, I'm serious, makes it more, the bullets you only get 10 grand. Yeah. Um, so you get some money thrown in. Um, and the, the other thing about it is that it's international and people all over the English speaking world pay attention to it. So you'll sell books in a variety of countries. I want to know now that, now that the long list is out, I want to know how they handle getting down to the short list. Like, do they, do they all meet in somebody's house and like, no one's allowed to leave for two weeks until we pick a five? Is there like, is it blood sport? Like, how do they answer to that? I don't know the mechanism for how this is selected. It could, you know, it could be that they've already done all the judging. And the winner is selected, and they use a long list to a short list to the winner as a just publicity timeline, right? Yeah, but they still have to get there, right? Like, they still have to pick a long list and then fight over who's going to be on the short list. Well, do they have to? I mean, can't they, couldn't they have done the long list and then the short list and picked the, the have, couldn't they have done all the process behind the scenes and now Already. they stagger the release? Yeah, that's what Yeah, I mean. sure, but they still have to. Do the process. Oh, oh, you mean whether or not it's done already. Yeah. How did they actually do it? Yeah, that's a really good question. I want to be like a fly on the wall of these literary critics. Yeah, I'll I'll dig it up and look at it and maybe I'll report back next week because some people, especially in the the British United Kingdom publishing world, really get into this. Like you can bet on it, a whole bunch of different things, and I'm sure it's well documented how it it happens. Um, I think the process of... A long list to a short list is interesting. It's not done. Let's see. The Pulitzer doesn't do it. The Pulitzer just announces here. Here's the winner, and here was the other three considered, which is mm. kind of weird. It's kind of kind of mean. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it's better than you know. At least the finalists get a little uh, publicity too, but you yeah. don't get any of the anticipation as a finalist of like I could win. It's mm-hmm. like the announcement is, hey, by the way, you were considered and lost like all at once. <laughs> at once. Womp, womp. Um, so I think this is interesting too. I wonder. I guess they want to give publicity to these books. Like here's, you know, here's a cohort of books that we think is exceptional and you're going to if you want to read a bunch of books or, you know, more than just the winner, here's a good list and then to the short list. I, I don't know, it's it's odd. Um my guess is that there's probably a different judging, you know, process for both the sh- to get to the long list and then to get to the short list and get to the winner. Um much like there's for the Pulitzer. So that's the list. There's a link in the show notes if you want to browse it. Uh, if any of these have struck you as being particularly remarkable, especially the ones we didn't spend any time talking about, I would sure like to hear. You can email us at podcastbookrack.com or leave a sh- uh, comment on the show notes at bookrack.com slash podcast. Okay, let's see. Let's go to this thing about the Coates book. Okay. Um, why, don't you, why don't you give us the lowdown on what's going on here? Oh, okay. Uh, what bookstore was it? Astoria uh, Bookshop in thank Queens, you. New York. <clears throat> so last wa- last week, Astoria, in which is in Queens, uh, announced that they are going to be selling Ta-Nehisi Coates' book Between the World and Me at cost. So for $14 per copy instead of $24 per copy in order to encourage readers to go buy it and read it. Like the bookstore is so behind this book that they're selling it at cost. They're not... So that means they're not making any profit um, mm-hmm. off the book. And they're probably actually, I imagine, losing a little bit of money because of the time that it's taking for them to promote this. But anyway, um, so they so believe in it that they are selling it at a cost. And I don't think that I've ever heard of a bookstore doing this before. I've never heard of I've never heard of a bookstore selling it at a cost. There's only a bookstore I know that sell books at cost or at a loss is the big green giant. Right. Amazon. But they do that for different reasons. But they do do it. I mean, it works. It gets people to, you know, spend more money, buy more books. It certainly must cost them money in terms of not only the staff, but also the books there go on a shelf that could be given to something else. Probably they're stocking this at the front of the register. So Mm -hmm. there's sort of opportunity costs built into it. 
I think this is cool. I think it's it is cool. Uh oh. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's 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 cool. I just don't. I uh, I guess what I'm wondering is. I guess you just pick this this particular book and this particular issue, um, right? Because you could do, like, why not other quote-unquote issue books, like on poverty oh, or something well, this else. one is having such a moment. And it's, it's yeah, so, like, well, a- that's what I mean. Like, it's having such a moment that it doesn't maybe need the promotion. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Whereas if you picked out something else, and I, I, nothing is coming to the top of my head, but, like, something that wasn't all over the place, that wasn't having sort of David Brooks write, write crappy op-eds <laughs> about it and people were buying it. Does he write it. any other kind of op-eds? Yeah, right. Like, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think it's interesting. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not against it or anything like that. It just it certainly, it certainly makes it an interesting, um, I guess, you know, uh, channel to to build interest around a book to separate it out from the other books in the bookstore like it would be kind of cool if they had again i'm not trying to crap over this i'm just sort of making a national extension of it like maybe every month there was one title that they sold at cost Mm -hmm. that was about something that they thought you know sort of transcended the 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 mercantile mission of the bookstore which is you know to sell books and and well that would kind of dilute it wouldn't it if they kept doing it, like the reason why this is so hmm. notable is because no bookstore has ever done it before that we can think of. And Yeah, I guess so. But then you spread it around a little bit. I, I guess it would just build in a certain sort of nonprofit piece to the business mm-hmm. rather than just have a, a one-off. Um, because the reason we're talking about it's like this has the function of being publicity for the store too right now. Right. Yeah. Um, but they could wrap it in like our pick this week, uh, or, or this month is some other book, you know, that's coming out. Yeah, um, I doubt they can bit. afford that. Yeah, like to keep doing it. Yeah, like Missoula, you know, could you could pick, you could reasonably, have, you mm-hmm. know, make a similar case for Missoula. Um, but anyway, I, I think it's very cool. I, I like to see bookstores experimenting. I'd be curious. I guess they won't have any comp sales data, you know, because like selling it at cost versus selling it um, for the regular price. Yeah, she, there's no number in this um, article from Melville House that we're looking at, but. The store owner, he interviewed the store owner, and she said it was selling well for them from day one. Mm-hmm. But sales have definitely picked up since they started this promotion. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I would imagine so. so I, I think, yeah, they're just targeting people who are already curious about the book, but maybe that extra 10 bucks was a stumbling block. Yeah. I mean, 10 bucks per copy. And this is, I mean, in New York especially, yeah. uh, this is a hot-selling books, Greenlight Bookstore. Uh, on Twitter has been sort of categorizing its sales versus Ghost at a Watchman, and it's been holding its own. Um, it's the number one nonfiction hardcover this week, and has, was last week as well, I think, uh, when it premiered. So it's a big title, and they're it's they are sacrificing some income, I would say, yeah, uh, to yeah, put definitely. that in there. It's too bad that the bookstore is the only one in the chain that's sacrificing the income. The publisher's certainly getting the income. The distributor's certainly getting the income. The author is certainly getting the income. Um, it would have been cool if, like, when let's see, is this a Random House title? I can't remember who the publisher is. Yes. It would have been cool if, like, the publisher had said, you know, we'll also, you know, we'll uh, give you another couple bucks off. You know, we'll we'll eat our. But then other bookstores, I guess, would ask for that. Too. I don't know. It's it's. I guess it's a slippery <laughs> slope. Yeah. Um, she did talk to her um, her rep, the bookstore. Oh, owner, did she? To the publisher rep, and I guess told him that she was going to do it. So. Mm, uh, yeah. So um, they knew it was coming. Let's see. So let's see. I was just trying to think if there's anything else here. Uh, it says it has picked up since they announced a plan. Like it's cool said. that people are doing it. They're doing like a customers are doing a pass it forward. 
they're yeah. using the discount to buy more than one and then well, that is definitely away. cool right yeah. right or i mean the other way you know is you could go if you were inclined to buy it from amazon for cheap instead this you could go in there buy it for cheap and also gets you in the store i mean i wonder if they have, i don't know i'm sure it's well i don't know it, the, 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 can this, you hear me typing i'm looking have, it up you, right have now. you noticed <laughs> i don't know i i buy some books on amazon but i also look for deals and stuff so i uh for the book riot deals newsletter and it seems to me the discounts haven't been as intense recently um but this is very anecdote anecdote ish it's fourteen dollars and forty cents on Amazon, yeah. and then you got to pay shipping right. if you're not a Prime member. So. Well, in New York, you got to pay sales tax too, both at the store and here as well. So it probably comes out to be pretty similar. But um, so yeah, like also, it shows you I, Amazon probably gets a. I mean, I'm sure they get a deeper discount than uh, a single bookstore. Um, we had some chatter in the book riot back channel about the differences in the discounting between. Um, independent bookstores and bigger retailers like Target and Barnes and Noble. And it can be, it can be quite uh, intense. So, um, yeah, so that's cool. I mean, I, I like that good on them for, I, I always like it when people put their money where their morals are. Yeah. Um, it just got me thinking too about, huh, I wonder, you know, what else you could do with that sort of idea of like, here's one we're basically giving away, um, because we want more people to read it. I need to go to this bookstore. It's the, it was the, I think it's the newest independent bookstore to open in New York. That's far open from you, though. Isn't it it is far. Queens. Who wants to go to Queens? It's, it's it's like six <laughs> miles, but it's like it's like fifteen trains. Like you have to go into. No, I'm not kidding. Like you have to go to. Well, you no. How many? No one cares I don't about know. this. I don't know. <laughs> it would. It, I live in Ditmas Park in South Brooklyn, and it it's very difficult to do intra non Manhattan travel on the train. It would take probably an hour and a half by the train to get there. Um, <laughs> what What even is New York? <laughs> yeah, right. It's it's a horrible rat's nest of uh, of infrastructure. Um, okay, let's move right along. Where, you pick the next one. I'm out of order, so I'm out. We're we're gonna play um the dartboard with the stories. All right, let's talk about. The Courtney Summers book. Ah, okay, right. Because I'm angry. I'm always angry about this. Yeah, and so, our ongoing, um, <laughs> our on, ongoing chronicling of knee-jerk reactions to taking books out of schools. Um, so this is in South Carolina, West yes. Ashley High School in South Carolina. They had an AP English summer reading list, and these aren't required. They're just suggestions for you know you're going to do freshman honors English one. And here are some things you might be interested in, um, both to get you ready, but also are challenging, things of that nature. So Some Girls Are is a popular young adult novel by Courtney Summers. Um, and until this week, it was on the summer reading list for some students. Um, but it was pulled after a parent complained about the novel's dark and explicit content. Um, Some Girls Are is author of Courtney Summers' sophomore novel. The book has garnered a 4.4 star ring, blah, blah, blah. Um, mm-hmm. But the, it's about um, uh, being. It's about uh, a novel where there's a party where everyone but the protagonist Regina is, is drunk. Um, there's it's peppered with f bombs. Is the copy here? Yeah. That means people say the the f word a lot. For those of you not uh, up on your euphemisms, uh, one character sells a pocket of pills to another student. So there's drugs. There's some drinking, um, and then there's a sexual assault. Yeah, and, and there, there's some stuff about bullying. And- yeah, um, this parent, um, McDonald, she got to page 74. Um, she'd had enough. So she was reading the book. I will give her credit for that. Yeah, but she didn't read the whole thing. No, no, she didn't. But she we've the seen pit. these stories before where 
a parent or someone else only hears whispers and rumors that there's something nasty. So she got to page uh, 74. She'd had enough, confiscated her daughter's e-reader, and then <laughs> called the school. Confiscated her daughter's e-reader. <sighs> okay. Mm-hmm. And here's her quote. And this is where I... This is my favorite this part. Is, this, is the, this is the root of the root here. I'm not a prude, but for God's sake, and I understand that these are issues kids are facing, the drugs, the alcohol, the bullying, but there has to be a way to present it that's not destructive to them. I get they're trying to find something the kids are interested in, but this book is trash. She calls it smut, too, like in other quotes. Wow. Mm-hmm. And wow. then she did eventually finish the book after she successfully got it removed from the curriculum by herself uh, and said that it doesn't get any better. So this one parent was enough to get this school to remove this book from the curriculum. And they, they offered another alternative. After she contacted the school board, they added um, a Triggers in Brooklyn mm. to the reading list. So the kids have another option if parents don't want them. I get the feeling that they were going for like a girl-boy book thing. Because the other book, I don't remember the name of it, Rikers something, Rikers High. It's about a boy who goes to a juvenile detention facility. So it felt very much like they were doing a boy book and a girl book. So instead of having this be the quote-unquote girl book, they were offering a Triggers in Brooklyn instead. But that wasn't good enough. She had to make it so that no one else could read it either. <sighs> um, Jeff, has, just have, Jeff has sighing, sighing to get out. I guess. Got to get out the sign. Look, the, the teachers read it and they picked it. And either, I I think it's appropriate to me for a parent to question whether a book should be promoted by a reading list. I think that's fair. I think what's crazy is that Runyon, before a committee could meet to review it, the principal of the school and the English department agreed to, to remove the book. So they did read the book, the English teachers did read the book before choosing it based on its readability and relevance to students. So because this one mom was upset by the book, it gets pulled from the other students reading possibly, you know, it gets pulled. And not, not only does it get pulled, but they're sort of now are going to feel, I don't know, judged or complicit in reading something that, you know, someone, someone came along and pulled. And I, like it's this, also this book also is not trash. Like, no, of course I it's haven't not. read the book, but it is not. It is not trash. Like, let's just get that out of hand. Like, and so I guess that that her her quote is so telling to me that there's got to be a way to present it without it being destructive to the students. How does like she the pro- issues themselves are not destructive? Well, that's what I'm trying to get. Like. <laughs> Because I, I read a little bit about the book, and apparently it's a it's a it's a fairly realistic portrayal of how this stuff goes down, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've been in high school. Um, sexual assault, I have to say, is not something we talked about in high school. Like it was, drugs were certainly on our radar. Mm-hmm. Alcohol was on our radar, but we got no, as far as I know, like when maybe when they, they separated the boys and the girls in eighth grade health class, they talked to the the women, the young women about sexual assault. They never said anything to us, so I'll put that to the side. But certainly, I mean, I was at parties where people were smoking weed and drinking and talking about cocaine. Mm-hmm. Like, th- this is not beyond the pale of what they run into. 
and it's portrayed realistically, then how is it, how is seeing something students already know is going on, have experienced firsthand, representing it realistically destructive to them? I don't get it. I, I really don't. I bet. I mean, it seems. I mean, I don't know this woman, obviously, but I'm sure she's the kind of parent who thinks that her child has never experienced those things. You know, like, it seems like the kind of people who don't want their kids exposed to books with violence or sex or any kind of realistic content in that are under this illusion that their children aren't seeing or experiencing those things anywhere else. Like, they don't think about how their kid watches the news or has gone to see the Hunger Games or says the word, the F word with their friends or has heard a Beyonce song, you know, like they don't, they don't think about how it's in all of our culture. And a lot of kids have like go off and do stuff like this and don't ever tell you, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like that's what teenagers do. I don't know. So it's just this like delusion. I guess, but she doesn't say that. I mean, you, you could be well, right. Like the root of the root is let's keep uh, my darling Jessica pure or whatever. I mean, but that's not the the language he's like, she understands that these are issues that kids are facing, but there has to be a way to present it that's not destructive to them. I guess most of us would say, outside of representations like this, it's not presented to kids at all. No. It just isn't. Like, it's it just not. I mean, in health class, it was like, put a condom on a banana. Maybe that's the extent of it, at least where I came from. And she doesn't seem to be having anything to say about a book they replaced it with, which is Speak by Laurie yeah, Hess Anderson. She didn't say anything about that. And Speak is one of the most often banned books in schools. It's also about a, a, a teen and sexual assault. And then A Tree Grows in Brooklyn has, a, has a, an attempted sexual assault in it of a child. Mm-hmm. And it's full of alcoholics. Like, there's no... None of the books on this reading list are, are like, quote-unquote, better than yeah. the book that she's complaining about. But... Mm-hmm. Like, there's something about this one that, I don't know. Yeah. There's, there's something, there's, there's more there. I want to, I don't yeah, get it. It's, I just it's, don't get it. If, if it is a, in a way, I was like, that's an interesting chess move on the English department's move on side. Speak? Like, uh, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you're, oh, okay. Well, sure. We'll give you something else. How about this? So <laughs> good. Are you going to read so this good. too? Like, let's just keep swapping it out. So she's going to read 74 pages of, of a bunch of books and, um, uh, object to, to all of them. It's interesting. Um, I, I'm going to go on the other side just for a second. I, I haven't seen what the, how the list was presented. So I don't know if students and, and parents got a list of just titles and authors or what. Um, this goes back to, I think Shinsuke and I were talking about this the other day, uh, the other episode when we were talking about ratings, um, movie ratings, would we like to see ratings on books? I think in a situation like this, a paragraph written by the English department about each book Mm-hmm. Uh, and what it is, and also why they think it might be useful to kids to read, could go a long way. Um, in I, you're not going to stop everybody, but it would take care of this. And I think to some degree, it is a problem that st- some parents feel sort of just subject to. Like you, you're a parent, and you get a list of like 20 suggested books. Are you going to read them all? This this student, this parent, um, I'll give her credit. She's reading a book that her kid is reading. Mm-hmm. Um, which not many people do. And so maybe she, maybe I will give her a little more leeway to, to complain than some people otherwise. But I think a description of what goes on in the book so that if a parent can look at it at a glance, you know, I don't want my kid reading this, that's a separate issue. Um, but also to do some sort of justification work. Like, why are we reading about this? Because I think that's a conversation that's worth having. Um, but, yeah. You know, what what are the particular issues that are going on in this book? Why we think it might be interesting and useful for students to read? I don't think that would make a difference, honestly, because it's the the people 
I mean, we've talked about so many of these instances of parents complaining about books on reading lists, and pretty much 100% of the time, it's because parents are, it's like thinly veiled sexism, racism, or homophobia. Mm-hmm. That, those are the reasons why people have these books removed. Um, and so a, a teacher saying, well, but here's, you know, here's why I think it has a literary value, or here's why I think the kids will like it or relate to it, isn't going to make somebody be less sexist, racist. No, no, I guess that that's what I'm saying. You're not going to stop this, necessarily this type of thing, but I do think there's this middle ground where some additional explanation or description or, you know, putting forth some sort of argument about why a book is interesting for a kid to read um, is something that'd be worth doing apart from this particular thing. And again, I don't know what this list looks like, but I'm just thinking to myself, like if I was presented with a book, like if someone just gives me a list of books to read, just author and title, mm-hmm. what do I do with it? Outside of a school curriculum, like I want to know why these things are. I do think there's some middle, not middle is wrong, but I think there's some additional argument, you know, discussion that could be done preemptively on the part, because that, otherwise, th- then, then I can see the principles, like there's just this list of books and there's like oral sex and bullying in this book. And I have to defend this somehow all of a sudden. Like it might even give, you know, yeah. administration some, something to defend, right? Whereas, you know, if it's just a list of books and then the parents like, there's a bunch of like oral sex and cursing and people doing drugs, like what the hell's going on here? At least he could have some recourse. Says, well, first of all, you know, th- the description was here. And here's why we think it's it important for students to read about at this time. At least there'd be something to defend, at least to get to the committee review meeting. I mean, at least to like say, you know, we, 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 put, we put some information out there so people can make decisions and know what they were getting into. So we did our due diligence there. Let's take some time to look at it at the review committee. Because my guess is, I want, you know, if you get to the review committee, then people, you know, cooler heads can prevail. And someone but can stand, not even someone can stand opposed. <laughs> like, yeah. who's going to stand opposed here? The teachers don't have the power to do it. The principal's getting, you know, reamed by some random parent and waiting for the, the bureaucracy to kick in. I don't know. Maybe yeah. maybe that's just a delaying action. I'm not sure. I think I think so. I don't think it would hurt, obviously. Yeah, but I don't it know that hurt. it would it wouldn't hurt. help at all. Because I like her last quote in this article, I think, is telling. She said she goes on this like rant of like, if this is what they have for summer reading, what are they going to teach in the classroom? What are they going to expose her to when I'm not there? I don't know, probably devil worship. You put your trust in these teachers, these educators, and now I feel like a fool. Well, never mind. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is about trusting the teachers. I mean, these are professionals. This is what they do for a living and have mm-hmm. trained for years to do. I trust them that, like, the books they pick for my kids are going to be yeah. worth something. You know, they're well, not just I picking them for a, no reason. Well, I think in a recommended or suggested reading list, you can push the envelope more than in the curriculum. Yeah. So, uh, you know... I don't know why that's important to me all of a sudden. Well, oh, but you put their the trust summer. in these teachers. Like, yeah, I think... Yeah, I don't know... Do you trust, is it, is it should be, maybe that's what it should be about trust or should it be about, you know, they give, they do some picking and they give us information and some mutual decision making can happen. I don't know. I just don't know. Like it's, it's part of a larger move, you know, that extends all the way into the college ranks of people wanting to have a little bit more control over what they have to read, right? The, the most sort of, um, I guess, extreme example being something like, legitimate trigger warnings to mm-hmm. content warnings to you and I or me hearing that there's a bunch of stuff about child abuse and a little life. And so I, I make the decision for myself that I don't want to read that book. Yeah. Right. Um, 
you know, I think there's, I think there could be some other way in which people get some information, especially when they're giving a suggestive suggested reads. And if they're going to read six out of 12, why not give them some more information um, about the ones they're going to pick? Maybe she would have avoided this at the first, I mean, maybe she would have avoided this for her daughter at the first time and it doesn't get banned. I don't know. Does she, does she protest it on the base of a blurb or a description? I think probably. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'd like to see someone do that. You know, <laughs> let's try it with descriptions yeah. and a justification and then see if someone pitches a fit. Um, you know, so I, I don't know. Like, uh, I'm, uh, it's so frustrating this to me that I'm trying to find something productive to say about it. That's really what's, Yeah, I know. That's, I mean, like, going. I just keep coming back to, like, fine. Like, fine. If you want to be closed-minded about what your kids read or whatever, then do no. you. Right. Literally no one cares. But when you start complaining like when you start calling something trash because it yeah. doesn't line up with your right particular values and when you start complaining so loudly that you, you take it away from other students like you just don't have the right you don't have the as, right. a, as a tactical move in her community it's a horrible one because now every 14 year old in the district is interested right okay can i we put this this one of our contributors, who's a librarian, uh, wrote a post about this instance, uh-huh. and it went up on Facebook this morning, and all of the comments, probably 75% of the comments are parents saying, oh, well, I just bought this for my daughter. <laughs> because, like, this mother is an idiot, and I have now purchased this for my teenager. <laughs> like, way to go. I'm sure 20 summer sales are, like, through the roof now, because yeah. you Well, I, I'm not guessing <laughs> that uh, Miss McDonald here has a... Uh, a um, complete picture of publishing and PR and marketing. <laughs> I'm just guessing here. Um, it's it's frustrating. I feel bad for the students involved here. I feel bad for the teachers. Um, uh, I feel bad for the principal, even though I don't like the behavior. Like if you have a process to review something, use the process. Like mm-hmm. boy, this is boy, did he bail out, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, there was that, uh, that Texas, was it Texas or North Carolina, that that elementary school teacher who left after he, like, he read a, a book about a boy Texas, who was wearing yeah. a dress or something like that. Yeah, and then the parents freaked out. But that school district stood behind him all the way. Right. Until he decided to leave himself, yeah, which is still a shame. Right. But, still a shame. Still a shame. But at least, come on. Like, I would feel, I mean, I would feel sold out if I was an English teacher here. Totally. Like you asked me to do this labor. I did the work I was asked to do. Um, I picked a book that has issues that real kids dealing with all the time that don't get addressed in our regular curriculum. Um, and then when the parent wasn't happy, I picked two more. And I picked two more. And now not only does my does the rug get pulled out from under me as an educator, but I'm going to have to apologize. And I've got this woman ranting in the paper about how I'm a f- the books I pick are trash. I would absolutely not. Like, this is the kind of thing that it does, it does say that the, the mother is still waiting for an explanation and an apology. And yeah. if I were asked by my principal to apologize, no way. I would lose my job over it. Yeah, I would too. I would, like, yeah, I would, I would be thrown under the, I would crawl under the bus willingly. Yeah, me too. I would like to think I would too. I would like to think I would, I would too. And I would like to think I would make a full throated defense of my selection. Um, I'd stay on a desk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could do all, call Norma Ray or uh, Mr. Keating about it. I, totally. Uh, um, Courtney right. Summers is my captain. Captain, <laughs> my captain. <laughs> uh, all right, we got another sponsor we should do. We got, we, got, we got into that. That was good. I, 
I, I guess I'm just trying to find a way to rather than just do a litany of we're disappointed with these things. Like, is there some other conversation we could have about it that's more interesting? Maybe there's not. Maybe I'm pulling the wool over my eyes. Okay. Are we ready? Go for it. Are we ready? <laughs> Okay, so uh, the History of Glitter and Blood is our next sponsor. So here's the deal. Um, 16-year-old Beckon and her friends are the only fairies brave enough to stay in Faram when war breaks out. You might guess this is not realistic YA. Are you, are you with me yet? This is mm. a fantasy here. <laughs> now there's a tension between these immortal fairies, subterranean gnomes, and the mysterious tightropers who arrive to liberate the fairies. Are there, are there supraterranean gnomes? I thought sort of all gnomes were subterranean, but we can get into the taxonomy and <laughs> ecosystem of gnomes a little bit later. We'll nitpicky. Yeah, Yeah, right. But when Beckins clan is forced to venture into the gnome underworld to survive, they find themselves tentatively forming unlikely friendships and making sacrifices they couldn't have imagined. Danger mounts. Beckin finds herself caught between her loyalty to her friends, her desire for peace, and love story, a love she never expected. So this is definitely YA, and adult readers who like to read, you'll 14 it up. Um, it's, 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 It's a little violent unapologetically filthy, um, but it has this fairy story element. So you're going to stay up, you're going to read it. And uh, it's, you know, a twisted kind of take on fairy tales. You'll never look at glitter the same way again, as one of the early um, uh, reviewers uh, uh, put it. So that's history of glitter and blood. And hold on, I'm looking for to make sure I've got the the author right here. One second, one second. It's not in the show notes. Uh, Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, here Written we go. Written by a person. Written by... Oh, internet's failing me so hard. Um, yeah, Hannah Moskowitz. All right, I had the wrong author, and I, I could tell once I put the author in, and I was looking at my notes, I had the wrong one. A History of Glitter and Blood by Hannah Moskowitz. So check that out. Thanks so much to History of Glitter and Blood for sponsoring this week's show. Hmm. Okay. Yep. Little women. Yes, I was going to say. Let's. <laughs> speaking of um, uh, wars, let's let's go to let's take up arms against this. Okay. Here for it. Oh, I'm going. I'm taking up. No, I, I can do it. Oh, yeah, you, 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 you take. Oh, you take up arms. I have feelings about it. I'll okay. follow your banner into battle. <laughs> so the CW, the TV network, is doing a television series based on Little Women. Which so they say. Yeah, I make scare quotes. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah around yeah. all that. Um, for the 2015-2016 development season, uh, the a writer of NCIS is is writing the script, and you may think that this is going to be a Civil War era uh, New England tale about a family, but what it is is going to be a hyper stylized, gritty, dystopian. It's not even a word, but that's what this says. Dystopic adaptation of Little Women. It it takes place in Philadelphia um, and involves the sisters trying to untangle a conspiracy theory. What? Let's all just... So... So as I said in Crickling this morning, it's like, do words even have meanings? Can you just say whatever? Like, what what part of this is even Little Women? That there are sisters? They're not even sisters. They're half-sisters. That have the they, same names? Joe, Meg, Beth, and Amy band together in order to survive the dystopic streets of Philadelphia and unravel a conspiracy that stretches far do we beyond have a, anything. Do we have a, we have, they have it's also, it, so it has the title, mm-hmm. Little and Women. And it has the names. And it has four half-sisters with the names. But other than that, there's nothing related to Little Women. 
I don't know. I don't understand. <laughs> like this, this is frustrating, but part of it is like, it's just completely mystifying. Dysto- <laughs> dystopic streets of Philadelphia mm-hmm. with a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that? Well, what is going on? I don't understand. Is, is Lori going to be a, Lori is going to be a terrorist. That's my prediction. Uh, and professor bear is going to be like the evil, Oh, runner God. of a hedge fund or something. <laughs> I don't get it. Like, is it no, just because people have affinity for the name Little Women that they're like, maybe some extra people will tune in and maybe dumbasses like us will talk about it and give it some publicity? Like, oh, I I'm d- totally going to watch it. I d- oh, you are? Yes. Amanda. Yes. No, I'm going to hate watch this so hard. Yeah, I'm going to hate watch want. it and I'm going to live tweet it. <laughs> I, I just don't, I just don't get it. A, a gritty adaptation of Little Women is not something I ever thought I would I would see you know be in production. I, I just never thought about. I just never you know, considered. I would that, actually watch. I would watch a. I would watch not hate watch but normal watch a gritty, stylized adaptation like a movie of Little Women in the same time period with like actually the same situation because yeah you know Little Women itself is such this like. I don't know, Anne of Green Gable-ish, sentimental... Make it a little more Dickensian. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But, like, in reality, a a house full of women living in poverty in the winter during the Civil War would have probably been a little grittier, right? Right, right. So, like, I'd watch some grit. I could take some grit. Kind of along, maybe even a little further than that Kira Knightley, Mm -hmm. Pride and Prejudice, where it's a little more visceral, so more, like, their dresses get dirty in the mud, and, like, they're in the morning, they're eating breakfast in the morning, and they're all sleepy and unkept, and, like... And their hair is, like, all messed up. Yeah, and there's, like, chickens just running around everywhere, like, you know, something along those lines. Because, like, what, that 93 adaptation, isn't it, with Winona Ryder? Is that the, the most beloved modern adaptation? It is very sort of soft focus. Things are way cleaner. Feels like maybe a set for an American Doll line yes. sort of situation. Which I love. Like, there's nothing. No, no, wrong there's with nothing that. wrong with that. It, I'm just saying, like, if you're going to do, you could do a more realistic take mm-hmm. uh, on Little Women. Which, but this is not. This is not a realistic take. This is gritty and hyper stylized future dystopia. What? Like what? <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I get hope it. it's got like. Okay, so does it, a dystopia does or does not have to be in the future? Does not, right? No. I mean, it could be like an alternate universe. Yeah, yeah. It could be is... an AU. So if it's like an alternate universe, dystopia, post-Civil War, steampunk thing, you know, like there are ways that this could be cool. I guess so. But mostly it just sounds like it's going to be yeah. horrible. Like in my brain, all I'm seeing is... <laughs> I mean, I guess... Hans- oh, go ahead. Sorry. I'm, I'm seeing that Han- Hansel and Gretel recent remake with Jeremy Renner oh, and that redheaded God. actress whose name I can't remember. Yeah, no. But like that, like a like a gritty and, and dark dystopia version of Hansel and Gretel. Or like that Hugh Jackman Van Helsing. Yes, that's yes. what I'm, in my brain this is Van Helsing. This is Little Women Van Helsing, mm. which is just not, there's nothing good about no, that. No, there's, not, there's nothing cool. This is just so weird. I mean, I guess, I mean, it's uh, in the public domain, so you can use all the names. I mean, you can use the title, uh... It's not. I guess if you connect it to a beloved property, it's not just another weird CW project. I guess. Um, anyway, I, I guess. Uh, I mean, very, like, are we going to get like Anne of Green Gables Vampire Hunter next, or you know? Well, that Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter movie is coming out sometime. Yeah, but Abraham soon. Lincoln presided over the bloodiest conflict right. in American history. But also, it wasn't Gables called like, um, you know. Uh, uh, Chickamauga. You know, it wasn't like called a famous <laughs> Civil War 
you know, it wasn't called the adventures of Huckleberry Finn. You know, yeah. it wasn't called something like that. It's just so, it's just so bizarre. I, I, I'm, I'm at a loss to be honest. Is Beth still going to die? Is Amy going to be like a alert. traitor? Oh, sorry. oh no, I know I'm giving you a hard time. <laughs> um, there's been so many adaptations too. Have you ever seen the Hepburn, Catherine Hepburn, 1933 adaptation? No. Or the Elizabeth Taylor, 1949 adaptation? No, I don't like Elizabeth. Okay, fine, fine. fine. I like Catherine Hepburn though. I haven't. Well, because you're a thinking human being. Um, <laughs> okay, so let's move. Let's move on here. Hmm. Well, you know, I can't help but I think that this is interesting. Um, <laughs> just because for the if we're on the WTF tip, uh-huh. <laughs> so there's a Kickstarter going out there to build, and I'm not kidding, a livable Hobbit hole. Uh, so it's uh, it's the project called Potted Hole Holidays is uh, trying to build in Suffolk, England. A two-bedroom hobbit hole with a functioning kitchen and bathroom and living room, um, with a natural woodland in the area that's ta- that's supposed to look like the Shire, and even get do some archery. So this is, you know, you can have your full. Uh, you don't you get you don't get to wear shoes. No, I'm kidding about that. Um, <laughs> but this is a effort to make a, a functioning hobbit hole that you could come stay in. It's on Kickstarter right now. The goal is. Uh, interestingly, $78,116. It must, Very be in, specific. must be in pounds sterling and then get translated over to the American Kickstarter. They are a third, best about a third of their way there, $23,758. I was trying to say like what the... Uh, the it's uh, 50,000 pounds. 50,000 pounds. So for $125, um, you can, can pre order one night in the potted hole. And I guess they have to call it that for copyright reasons. Because there's no, there's nothing that actually directly refers to the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit or anything here, because the Tolkien estate, which is notoriously, um, well, I guess even if I weren't sort of a notorious sort of copyright curmudgeon like the Tolkien estate has been, if someone was building essentially what's a, a bed and breakfast using my intellectual property, I might, I might want a piece of the action. Um, yeah, they say that you can get a tour of Center Earth. <laughs> 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 yeah, and uh, to lit around by someone in costume, um, Mangolf the beige, <laughs> Mangolf the beige can come, will, will, uh, uh, come talk to you. Um, you know, I this is totally I get, cool, and I would stay there. I get a kick out of. I have to say, I get a kick out of like Kickstarter and the internet is one of these things that, like people can find enough of an audience for weird ass projects like this. And I think it tickles me pink. Yeah, I think it's great. You would. Stay I love in watching them? people like. I, no, I would totally – I would yeah. live there. I have you, a question. Oh, okay. I have questions too, but you go first. Well, my first question is can tall people fit? I, that was my question because I, as you know, am large. You are. My husband is also yeah, large. Yeah, Jeremiah is also large. So, so I, I don't, don't know. know. I would have to stay there by myself. Maybe would you feel like those scenes in the movies of Mandolf the Beige just like bumping your head on stuff <laughs> and exactly. like having to – would the, the beds – would your feet just stick off the beds? Because you you are not super tall, no. um, but you are significantly larger than your average I'm not size a hobbit. hobbit. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Or a bobbit or whatever. Oh, yeah, what is it called? It's a plot it. A pot pot it. A pot it. A pot it. I mean, I imagine they have to meet like certain health and safety standards. Yeah, there's, there's the I'm sure there stuff. would be fire. There's gonna have to be like fire extinguishers. Yeah, and stuff like that. 
Um, that was really my only question. Am I going to fit? <laughs> oh, that was your only question. I, I was just going to ask, like, there's only two bedrooms. Are you staying out there in the middle of the woods by yourself? Like, is there staff around? Well, you can, they have archery lessons and they can, they give you a tour. Oh, there's a nearby Anglo-Saxon village. Okay. Okay. So there's a village that's going to have hot water and all of that. And and somebody will be there to give you a guided tour. So it's not part of a complex or something. It's more like renting a cabin in the woods. This one just happens to be in a berm. I have a dream uh, vacation where I go and do like all the literary crap in the UK. And I would totally make this a stop. Right. Right. Well, what else goes on that stop? What is there other things immediately that go on that stop? In in the whole vacation, or yeah, in my just brain? like what else? Does, do you have like a, a, a top of mind list of things you would do? Oh yeah, Jane Austen's house, okay. the Brontes house. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, yeah, totally. I thought I there was like other kind of like themed hotels, like life cosplay stuff that you would because this is cosplaying Middle Earth, right? There's this is one here that I really want to go to in in Virginia, mm. um, Anne Hathaway's house. Have you heard about this? Anne Hathaway's house. Okay, Shakespeare's no. wife. Yeah, yeah. No, I haven't. There, uh, in Stanton, which is about an hour and a half west of Richmond, is a replica of the Globe Theater. Oh. It, it's great. It's associated with one of the universities in Virginia, and the American Shakespeare Center is there. And I go there very frequently to see plays. Mm-hmm. And one of the bed and breakfasts in the area is a replica of Anne Hathaway's cottage that you can hmm. stay in. And I haven't been yet, but I would really like to go. Anyway, I'd totally go in for that, like... Yeah. I, I've only done a little bit of stuff. this sort of uh, reenact, see the past literary stuff. I went and saw a play at the reconstructed Globe Theater, mm-hmm. which was very cool. Also, standing all standing through Romeo and Juliet is long because oh, I no. stood like you know as the I guess they called them the groundlings. You, you used to go pay a penny or something like that, mm-hmm. and you stand up for the whole show. Uh, I was like, oh, I'm old. There's a reason I don't go to rock concerts. Uh, <laughs> rock concerts because I'm an old man. That's how I, I call them rock. Rock. This these rock and roll concerts yeah. that kids go to go stand up for two hours. Not that fun, but it was cool. It's amazing how a small the uh, the theater was and so cramped. Like a bunch of people in there. It's hot. Uh, I, I don't know. I, it was I, that that part really struck me. Um, so I learned a lot doing that. Uh, that was fun. So that that one I would recommend the Globe. Though when I went to see the Royal Shakespeare Company in like a proper theater in London, I enjoyed that quite a bit more. But anyway, so that's it. All right, we've got, we got another sponsor. We've got another sponsor. So Scribd is back. Scribd, the, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an all-you-can-read-and-listen-to platform. We've talked about Scribd a lot, so I'm trying to think of how else to, to, to describe it. So on the Book Riot back channel today, um, one of our contributors who has recently signed up for Scribd, she is one of those keeps a huge to-be-read list. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you do this? Do you keep a huge one? How do you do yours? Uh, I don't have a list, but I have a, I have a bookshelf. A bookshelf. Okay, right. So she has, I don't know if it's an Excel spreadsheet or a Word document or what, but what she was doing is she was going through Scribd and basically matching it to her to-be-read shelf and putting together a list of Scribd. So here's all the things I want to read and then sort of searching title by title and putting together audiobooks, comics, um, the e-books, all the things that are on her to-be-read shelf, move it over there. And she's like, I'm set. Like she has all these to-do projects and she's like, my <laughs> audiobook listening is totally set. So that's one way where you can, if you're already curating reading for yourself, you can use a lot. Scribs has their own curated collections. Their editors do a great job of putting specific things together. Like last time on the show, we talked about how they have a, they have a section for heroes of color in their comic book section um, for uh, diverse protagonists in comics. They do collections like that. But also a lot of us who are super power crazy readers um, keep our own lists 
but you can find, you know, what of you want to read is already available there and boom, bump it to the top of the list or what's available on audiobooks. So you can get, if you do audiobooks from multiple sources, you can choose somewhere else to get a particular audiobook so you're not overlapping. So that's a way to get the best value you can out of script because it's unlimited reading, unlimited listening, $8.99 a month. If you sign up through scribd.com slash bookwrite, you get free 30-day trial. You can listen to as many books as you want there, read as many books as you want, start, abandon, finish, <laughs> um, come back to later, put on your put on your list to read, discover, experiment, all of the other verbs that I'm saying right now. More than 30,000 audiobooks, more than a half a million ebooks. And there's, they don't have a number about comics. Boy, I think they're getting a lot more comics quickly because every time I try to go through script right before the show to pick out something interesting. And I didn't pick out something interesting today because I was struck so much by how many comics there are right now, getting more and more of those. So script, I have a book pick. Oh, you do? Wanna, oh, good. Great, 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 great. What's just, your book pick? Um, I Charles Shields has a biogra- a YA biography of Harper Lee called, Mock- called I Am Scout. Wait a minute. How do you write a YA biography? Right. Yes. What, what does that mean? He wrote in a he wrote adult full like a normal bio of her called Mockingbird uh-huh. of Harper Lee, and then I guess took that and rewrote it and it took out a lot, <laughs> a lot of it. It's much shorter, um, and rewrote it for a young adult audience and changed the name. But what I wonder mm-hmm. what what do you take out? I don't know. Well, I'm actually I'm reading both. I'm reading Mockingbird, which oh, I got in the library, and I'm reading. I am Scout on uh, on script and the the second cha- the second chapter in Mockingbird is the first chapter huh. in so the chapter that he removed was the one about her uh, was one about her being like sad in New York or something for for a while but yeah I don't know I don't I will have a full report <laughs> yeah you, I'd like it, to know I mean I'm not against the idea I just have yeah. never. I would think maybe it's some of the more technical career stuff, dollars and cents, maybe. I don't know. I'm just Well, he's guessing. written a lot of um, biographies of literary figures and historical figures right. for young adults. Hmm. He's also wrote, you know, um, So It Goes, that biography of Vonnegut, but that was for grown-ups. Is this guy alive? Charles J. Shields, yeah. yes. Yes. He I came see. to Fountain, the bookstore where I used to work. I, I want, I want, I want to I, – I, this might be an interesting – interview situation. I'd like to talk to him about that at some point. I I didn't know this thing exists. It makes perfect sense. Um, I just had never uh, thought about that before. So what's, I'm sorry, Charles Shields, what's the name of the book? I Am Scout. And this is the... Or My Name is Scout. I don't remember My Name is Scout or I Am Scout. Scout. And it's, this is the liter, this is the YA one and it's on script. Yes. Ebook or audio, do you remember? Ebook. Ebook. Okay, cool. Great pick. Scribd.com slash book riot. One word book riot. I guess you can't do two words in URLs. Uh, And Scribd is S-C-R-I-B-D.com. We're not doing a new book section because Shinsky's not here, but I will A, say, go listen to the All the Books podcast, Rebecca and Liberty, every week. It's a half-hour show. They go through and highlight new books that you should pay attention to that come out every week. It's a great show. People are loving it. Um, let's talk about Amanda for a minute. Hey. First of all. talk about me. First of all, when is your panel coming up? Because we may have some listeners in the area that might want to go. Oh, yeah. If you're in the South, the Mississippi Book Festival is August 21st, the Saturday uh, in Jackson, and I will be doing a panel on Harper Lee. Uh, in the courthouse, in the old courthouse in Jackson. Um, and it's a great panel. There's going to be poets and one of Harper Lee's biographers and uh, one of a former person from the Library of Congress and just lots of lots of people who are way fancier than I am. Hmm. And I'll be directing a conversation about Harper Lee. So August 21st, Jackson, Mississippi. It's the first Mississippi book festival. Cool. Jackson, Mississippi, August 21st in the courthouse. Yes. And sometime during that day. I, sometime during the day. I don't have a I bet if you Google yet. Mississippi Book Festival... 
yeah. you can find uh, the relevant details. Okay, Hence so all the biographies I'm reading yeah, yeah, so right you're, now. You're doing your homework, um, yeah. like the good student you are. Okay, and the second thing is uh, your, your new show. We've talked about it on, on this podcast before, but you, you're going to be hosting a biweekly book recommendation show yes. dedicated to uh, fielding people's book recommendation requests. Um, so first of all, we have a title. Get booked. Get booked. Woo! Get booked is the name of the show. And the second thing we're asking for um, is recommendation requests because it's going to start in September. So we've got a little bit of time. But if you want to get a recommendation request in, we'd sure like to hear from you um, or Amanda would like to hear from you. And you're going to have rotating guests or, or a um, yeah, regular co-host? Okay. Rotating guests and they'll be um, authors, booksellers, librarians, people who are really great at recommending, recommending books. Excuse me. Um, so whether you want like a recommendation for yourself or yes. a recommendation for a gift or whatever, mm -hmm. send them to me and yeah. I will have answers for you. Any genre. Any genre. Matter. And if it's something Amanda doesn't Any know age. particularly well, that she'll probably, you know, she can group some into like having someone who does, let's see, what don't you read very much of? You um, do you have a particular one? You, you're, you're pretty well, <laughs> you're pretty well rounded. I'd say. Yeah. Mili but I'm not, I'm, I'm more mili Jack military history. Oh no, I read. I do read a lot of. Oh, you do your history. You're a history nerd. That's too. Memoir, essay. You kind of read a little bit of everything. Yeah, well, that's why I'm, you're I'm, good. That's why you're a good standing host because you can dip your toes. I'm a toe in, dipper. Into, yeah, into a but lot if of I get four, quite four or five questions about like 70s Harlequin romances, yeah, you know, right, I'm gonna right, ask right. someone or to Italian come poetry or something. Right, like exactly. That. Um, there you go. So. If, if if this a specific specific, uh, it can be as specific as um, I want something. I want a Italian poet, or it can be as general as I'd like something funny. It could be something like I loved this book and I haven't found anything really like it. Um, what do you suggest? And if it's Harry Potter, or get in line. Actually, we have a whole post about that. We um, do. People asking for I loved Harry Potter. I'm looking for something else. You want to read more books in translation? Yeah. For something for your kids. Uh, something for a spouse, significant other, parent. You get the idea. Uh, it's going to be every other week. You can. We'll have a, a dedicated email. Do we have a dedicated email set up already? Not yet. Not yet. So for the time being, you can email here, podcast at bookriot.com. Some of you have done so already, and Amanda has um, started squirreling those away uh, in her uh, recommendation tree. So uh, <laughs> get ready for those. Uh, do we have a date? I don't remember if we have a date for the first one. Oh, I don't remember. Yeah. It, some of it will depend, frankly, on iTunes approving. So um, Yes, and on my first uh, guest. Yeah, first guest. It'll available. be in September. So yeah, sometime yeah. in September. Um, and then we get into holidays. So birthdays, gifts, yourself. Back others, to school. Back to school. Yeah, really good stuff. Looking forward to it. Um, and uh, that's the show. Uh, you can email us at podcastofbookriot.com. What were we asking for this week? Oh, if you've read any of those man booker long lists that are particularly interesting or you've got thoughts or feelings about those, I'd like to hear those recommendation requests, especially for Amanda's new show, Get Booked, starting in September. Uh, you can find show notes at bookriot.com slash podcast. You can follow Amanda on Twitter at I'm Amanda Nelson. You can follow me at Twitter at the Jeff O'Neill, O-N-E-A-L. Rebecca will be back next week. We're getting into the dog, the, the, the August days. The other thing I should say, too, is that um, Book Riot Live is coming November yeah. 7th and 8th. In New York City, a two-day conference uh, that Book Riot is hosting in Manhattan. Um, we have a bunch of guests, a bunch of panelists, a whole ton of Book Riot people. <laughs> um, Amanda and I will be there. Uh, Rebecca and will be there. I I think we're gonna we're, we're definitely recording a Book Riot podcast live. 
I'm, yes. I, I don't have we have we for sure 100 percent said there's going to be a get booked live. I think there probably will be. Uh, no one has said anything to me yeah, about well, it. Yeah, well, that's we're doing. Willing. The plan was to do all the the podcast live. Um, but that's a new one, so we haven't really talked about it. I assume it will be, but tune in. It would be cool if we had, like, the people in the audience. Oh, yeah, like, maybe just, like... Do them off the cuff. I, have, I had this idea for, like, competitive book recommendations, where, like, people submit book recommendations, and, like, each party gives a rec, and then the, the audience, like, claps for which Votes. one's better. <laughs> yeah, kind of like an old uh, cool. talent show. Um, so maybe that's going to happen. I don't know. But like a lot of people would talk about Sarah McLean, Daniel Jose Older, the, 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 the grand dom herself, Margaret Atwood is going to be there doing a couple of things. Um, you know, a bunch of people have been on the reading live podcast are going to be there. Alvina Ling, who's the most recent guest on reading lives is going to be there. Beverly Jenkins, who's a romance writer, um, a whole slew of interesting people. William Johnson, who's the editor of Lambda Litera. I'm sorry, what? Roberta Kaplan. Oh, Roberta Kaplan, who the took Doma the Doma Lawyer. case mm-hmm. to to trial, um, who has a new book out, is going to be there doing hosting um, hosting a panel. Alexander Chi, whose new book Queen of the Night is one of the most anticipated books of 2016, mm-hmm. is going to be there on a panel. So you can see all the existing programming bookriotlive.com right now. There's more and more program being added as we as we speak. Tickets are still available, and it's it's 169 dollars for the two day ticket. Um, if you, we, we got a little deal for the podcast listeners. So if you go in and use the offer code wheelhouse as you're checking out one word, that'll get you 20 bucks off. Um, we're going to have vendors. Um, we've got some great vendors. A lot of the people have been participating in our book fetish column, um, over time that booker stuff, um, booksellers themselves, we're gonna have authors, panel signings. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're really looking forward to it. Looking forward to meeting a lot of you there. Um, bookwritelive.com use offer code wheelhouse and, uh, Two full days of programming, being around a bunch of awesome book nerds. It's going to be a lot of fun. Worth looking forward to it. Amanda, thanks so much for being on the show this week. No problem. You, she was camping last week. She was. You were, and, and she came back full of ideas. <laughs> it was. Would you have gone to a hobbit hole if it was available? Yes. Yeah. Was it tent camping or like tent? It, okay, tents. Yeah, that's that's rough. I like it. Uh, no, that's I don't that's mind good being for like, you. I don't mind 90 degree weather though. So oh, my okay. husband would not give you the same yeah. <laughs> about what kind of time we had. <laughs> I'd like, I'd camp in a hobbit hole. That doesn't really count as camping. It, it feels like, cause there's a lot of dirt around you that it should count, but it really doesn't. Nope. All right. That's our show. Thanks everyone so much for listening. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time. Bye.